This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Justin Hartwig, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. This is Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland, with me today and battling through free agency flu is Glenn Lotzenheiser. How you doing, Glenn? Man, this stuff is rough. It takes a lot of medication to survive the free agency right now. <laughs> I bet it does. Matt is not going to be here. We'll get him in later in this episode, but for the start, can't be here. Um, I believe he's trying to track down Hightower and force him to sign. If I'm not mistaken, that's what he's doing. (laughs) That may not work out for him. He may be having another arm surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good luck to him. Before we jump into the mailbag, I just want to let you know we have a, a big show in front of us with another college football profile. We have a good friend, Amos Conway, coming on to preview Notre Dame. Uh, but let's jump right into the mailbag. Sonny Ali asks, where do you think we stand as of right now? Well, in, in, in the Dante Hightower free agency sweepstakes, I think we're probably third or fourth option at best at this point. Um, they're not going to throw a bunch of money at him. They're not going to overpay, though I think that he'd probably be worth it. If Of the free agents that are out there, I think he's the one I would probably spend the most on, and he would probably bring the most value as far as solidifying the center of the field. I don't think it's going to happen. Our, our team obviously has set a price. It's not better than what the Patriots are offering, or it's just not as much as he wants. So if you're Dante Hightower and you got to pick where you're going to go, why would you leave New England? I want the guy, but I don't understand why he would leave New England other than just you know wanting to come back to Tennessee. There's no other reason for him to come here between us, between us and New England. The other teams that have been mentioned with him, like the Jets, there's no reason to go there. They're not going to get out of the NFC East anytime soon. They'd have to go through the Patriots to do it. There's no advantage to going there. He's going to end up going back to the Patriots, I think. He's, they're going to end up breaking him, and he's going to take that price to go back. I just I don't see him coming here because we're not going to offer him significantly more money than the Patriots, and we can't offer him a better chance to win a Super Bowl right now than he can get with the Patriots. And he's young enough that he can go ahead and resign with the Patriots for a few years be there for the rest of Tom Brady's career, and then he can go somewhere else and sign a big contract somewhere else. With Hightower, I don't really think he ever had much interest. Um, this is my theory, anyway. He never had interest in leaving New England. Him, I think he was trying to get Tennessee to push the price up, so New England would have to push the price up to keep him. We did not do that. We didn't see the value in doing that. John Robinson you know, put a value mark for Hightower and was not going over it. Um, that's why I think he's starting to go to these other teams is so he can get a price point pushed um, so that the Patriots feel like they have to increase the price. I don't think he'll sign with another team. You know, I thought when you know first happened, I got excited and I thought, uh, but seeing his actions and and you know just seeing the the way that he's behaved and, and the current market and free agency, I really feel that. He has never had any intention in leaving um, New England. He just wanted to try to get 
his contract pushed up, his per year pushed up so he could make as much money as possible, you know, while playing with um, the current Super Bowl defending champions. So, that, I mean, that's my theory. I just I don't think that he ever planned. But even if he was planning, I think that, you know, Tennessee is very low on that list because we're not moving our price up. Um, it doesn't sound like our price is very, a lot, you know, that much higher if it is higher than the Patriots. And I think you'd rather stay with the Patriots if we're offering him the same price, obviously, because they're more of a contender. That's just the harsh truth we have to accept. So I think that's where we stand right now with high towers. It's, you know, a snowball's chance in hell. Moving on to the next question here, Glenn. Mallory Walsh asks, we've obviously put a large focus into improving our special teams play. So how far so far, how do you like the moves that Ro- John Robinson has made to improve this side of the ball? Well, as far as special teams go, it's hard to gauge you know how much each individual move will impact a special teams unit. It's not like it's a quarterback position or there's a single guy you know on the kickoff unit or the return unit other than the guy who you know returns the ball and the guy who kicks the ball. Everybody else is kind of there to do a role and be part of a system. So more than any other group, this one is hard to gauge how much each individual signing will really mean except for the returner. So the guys like uh, Bates and uh, Trawick, or Trawick, whatever his name is, we're, we're not going to know about those guys or you know Supernaw uh, until we see them making good, smart plays on special teams or just not making stupid plays where they stand out, which is kind of – one of the things that you know, Superdoll's resigning stands out to me is he's a guy who's known for making boneheaded plays. So I don't know how much that helps. The Eric Weems signing, he's an experienced return man from a team that went to the Super Bowl. He hasn't been a big time return man though in probably about five years, so he doesn't do much for me as far as boosting the special teams. I think he's a little bit better than Mariani, but only because he's a little bit faster. That's about how much he helps me on that end of it. I'm still waiting to see what we do for a return man next year because I'm sure that Weems is the guy for right this moment, but we'll see what happens after the draft. I agree with a lot of what you said here. You know, it's it's hard to gauge how much of a benefit this is actually going to be, um, but you get two guys that are veteran leaders uh, on special team units to come in. So the leadership value, I think, is the most uh, – with those two, the most um, – the biggest takeaway that you can have is, you know, we get some guys that have some true leadership. But, you know, we've talked about it before. Um, the the better we get, the deeper we get, the better special teams is going to get. You know, the deeper you get at, at linebacker, the deeper you get at safety, those are where, you know, those big special teams contributors are going to come from. Um, with the Weems, getting a guy like him, I feel like it's not a set in stone, this is going to be our, our returner kind of a move. I feel like this is, um, you know, and I talked to Matt about it. I feel like this is, like, we don't have to draft a return guy now. If if it lines up, I think, you know, we're still going to do it. We're still going to get a guy that that um, has that explosiveness that can, you know, create plays in the return game, but we don't have to now. There's no, um, you know, we got a guy that's adequate, so we don't have to get a guy if we don't want to in the draft, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. But I feel like that was this kind of move is we don't, you know, we're not, our hands aren't tied. We don't have to get a guy unless there's a guy there. Um, 
you know, because Weems is slightly better than Mariani. Like, it's not by that much. So I, I just feel like it was, we got a guy who's adequate, a little bit of an improvement, and we don't have to go draft a guy if it falls down and, you know, we have something else rated higher. There's not a necessity to go grab a return man. Yeah, that's kind of my you know understanding of the Titans and John Robinson's whole approach to free agency is you're, you're filling needs with adequate guys to get you by until you can draft their replacement later, and you're making it so you have more flexibility in the draft. Signing guys so that when it, the best player available in the draft doesn't fit that desperate need, it's not so bad anymore because you've already got someone who can do that. You can take the best player available, trade back a little bit. You have flexibility. You can move. You don't have to reach for people because you've signed okay, suitable replacements during the offseason so that the draft isn't about just addressing needs. It's about building a better team. Perfect segue into the next question from Devin Mills. Uh, you know, he's talking about the draft and about this free agency, and he asks, how is the signing of Logan, how is the signing of Jason Cyprian and Logan Ryan going to change how we draft? They, like I just said, they take away that desperate need for uh, secondary help. Um, for Logan Ryan, for me, he's not a outside starter, so he's not your number two. He's more of your uh, nickel slot uh, defender. So he takes away that desperate need for the inside guy because after McCordy we had nobody, so we definitely needed a slot guy. Um, it lets us have a little bit more flexibility in addressing that second spot. I think it doesn't change that we still need a cornerback desperately in this draft. So I, I think that with this being such a deep uh, deep draft for that position, we address that regardless at some point. But now it means that we don't have to do it twice. We don't have to double dip in the first round on cornerbacks in order to be able to post a reasonable defense next year. Um, so th- this gives us some flexibility. It gives us some opportunities to be flexible in our defensive schemes. Uh, we're going to see a, different, a lot of different things from LeBeau. If we give him more pieces to work with, you may find that you have three safeties on the field at different times. If they're good signings, they're not knock your socks off signings. They're, again, just setting you up for the draft so you can get the best player available. And if it doesn't happen to be that the best player available fit that need, you at least address it in the offseason so you can still feel the team that has a chance of winning next year. I feel um, similar to that, but the one thing I would add is and getting a guy like Logan Ryan, he's not going to play on the outside. You don't have someone that's there to play um, number two to you know, you have what you have here is a good, very good uh, nickel corner. So you don't have a guy that can play on the opposite side of McCourty. So I feel like that's still going to be a priority in the draft. And then the exact same thing can be said about um, about Jason Cyprian is that he is a run stopping safety. We still need to find you know a safety that can cover down the field. Uh, outside of Kevin Byard because he's the only guy right now. And, he, you know, he's young and he's raw, and it's going to take a couple years before his game is is completely up to speed to the NFL level. You know, he, he's shown some promise for sure, and he has the abilities um, to be great one day, but it's still going to take some time, and we don't have anybody at safety outside of him that can really, truly cover. So I feel like this isn't going to change the plan too much. These are guys that will, you know, pass due. They, they do um, – 
provide a role for us. Both of them do. But I don't see this being uh, – this doesn't change our plans in the draft that much at all. No, it just it takes away from the – if there's no one there that you just love, you don't have to draft them anyway. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think we'll still draft some guys that uh, they can cover. You know, it's obviously a priority with how bad our secondary was um, when against uh, the pass defense last year. Sorry, against passing offenses last year, we really struggled. Jay Russell asks, there's been a lot of hate on Twitter and Facebook towards John Robinson. Do you feel like the Titans have been too passive in this free agency so far? I feel like the fans have been too impatient. Uh, if you've already turned on John Robinson at this point, then obviously you wanted every big-name free agent that was out there. Uh, we all make jokes about that all the time. Oh, my God, this 35-year-old uh, free safety is available. We should go get him because otherwise he's going to retire, and within we can't use him. Let him retire. Uh, the, the whole idea that John Robinson isn't doing enough for us to address our needs is ridiculous. Uh there's definitely guys that we want, like we want Hightower. I would have loved to have gotten Calais Campbell. You know, those, those kind of guys, I definitely wanted them. I would have paid for them. But at the same time, we have to save money to re-sign our players later. We're not going to overpay for somebody. You know, the Boyer contract was ridiculous. There, there's contracts out there that just they don't make any sense. They're not for this team right now. Uh, the Patriots spending big just out of the blue all of a sudden – puts that much more of a bad look on us because we're always comparing him to the Patriots system. But the thing is, is they're spending that money because they've only got just a little time left with Tom Brady. So they got to spend now, win now, because probably in two, three years, they're going to be blowing the team up and starting over, you know, depending on what they do. If they keep Garoppolo, then maybe they just think they're reloading a quarterback and they just keep rolling. But that all that salary cap spend expenditures, they come due. Uh, eventually it has to cost you somewhere down the road. And you'll see that with the uh, Jaguars. You know, Maybe this will be the year that they spend a shitload of money and they finally win something. I, I still kind of doubt it. The Patriots, they don't spend money like that unless they expect to win. And having just won a Super Bowl and now spending that much more money to improve their team that much more, obviously the Patriots are you know, they're going all in on this year and next year. Try to get three in a row. And Tom Brady's career with you know a couple more Super Bowls, put the whole who's greatest quarterback of all time crap, settle all that. So it makes us look like we're being slow, like we're not being effective in what we're doing. And as we've discussed, Titans free agency free agent strategy is to set us up for the draft so that we can draft the best players that we can get. And if we don't get the best player at the position that we have to have, we're going to be okay. So it looks like we're not being active, but they're making smart signings with the salary cap in mind, with the draft in mind. They have a plan. People just need to calm the hell down. Yeah, I 100% agree. You build championship teams through the draft. You know, look at the how many year how many times in the last like 10, 15 years have the Jaguars won free agency or been in the top 3 in free agency? Now tell me how many winning seasons in that time frame they've had. You know, it's you, the teams that win free agency um, usually win, you know, top ten picks in the draft as well. They they aren't teams that have success. John Robinson knows that. He comes from the team, you know, that is like the prototype for build through the, dra the draft. 
um, you know, in the Patriots. They do a great job of that, and that's what we're going to do. And you, you bring up a great point because I've seen a lot of people say, well, look, you know, the Patriots are, are spending all this money, and, and you said it perfectly. Their window's closing. Ours is just starting to open. You know, this was the first year where, you know, the, the crack of the window is open now. We can start, you know, planning forward that we actually have, like, a good team now to work with around us. Um, you know, for the Patriots, that window's closing, and it's closing fast. So we're on two opposite ends of the spectrum. That's why you're seeing them act aggressive, and we're not. We have a very young team. And at places that were not young, most of them, we have good backups um, coming up that are uh, young. You know, you look at, like, DeMarco Murray, he's getting up there, but Derrick Henry right behind him. That's why, you know, we're, you're going to see us go after a tight end this year to replace Delaney Walker. But our window's opening. That's why we have to play smart. We have to, you know, not go crazy in the cap. That way, you know, two, three years down the road when we're true contenders for a Super Bowl – we don't lose, you know, that contender status by not being able to pay everybody. We're going to have the cap space that we can pay everybody and continue to be a contender, to continue to strive to get a Super Bowl. That's the difference between a dynasty and a one-and-done Super Bowl team is normally it's free agency, especially in this modern era. You see those teams blow up over the next, you know, year or two years where they're not even the same by the end of it. You know, barely. You know, don't even have any of the same players left in like three, four years. We're doing it the smart way. John Robinson's building something that's going to last, um, and I'm a, I'm a happy with the way he did it. You know, it would have been nice to get one guy, but obviously, I trust in J. Rob. We went. The guy inherited a three-win team and and made us a nine-win team. So, I mean, calm down. Yeah, it's, it's going to be all right. Yeah, just. Everybody believed in him last year. He did amazing things. And the signings he made last year weren't blowing anybody up, except for the DeMarco Murray trade, which at least half the fan base didn't want in the first place. Uh, they were so used to just bringing in players and just never working out for us. So everybody needs to calm down and remember that you know where we were this time last year, how we felt about what we were doing in free agency last year, and how awesome the team turned out to be you know, compared to the year before. If the the moves he's making right now and then the draft combine to make us that much better again next year, then we are talking deep playoff run. There's no reason for us not to expect to be able to have a good push at the playoffs at this point. But we should be able to push deep into the playoffs if we take another huge step forward. It's not realistic to think that we're going to win the Super Bowl this year, but it's not out of question all of a sudden. Um, the big step forward like that we made this last year was – from being a terrible team to being a okay team. The next step is being a good team than a great team. That doesn't happen overnight. It's easier to make the first few moves and take that first jump up the ladder than it is to make the last several climbs. That's why so many good teams never quite get to the playoffs, never quite get to the NFL Super Bowl. You know, it just it doesn't work as easily the higher up you go because there's other teams doing it the right way up there with you. So calm down. It's going to be okay. Ease up on the crack. <laughs> and we're excited now to have Matt Necrone joining us. How you doing, Matt? It's always exciting to have Matt Necrone with us. We're heading into the last question of the mailbag. This one from Ryan Howard. How do you feel we have graded so far in free agency? So give a letter grade of how you feel we have done so far 
in this free agency? Uh, for me, I'd have to go with a probably a solid B, B minus. Um, I like what we brought back with Carl Klug, uh, Jonathan Cyprian, solid safety. He's not as well rounded as maybe one of the guys coming out of the, uh, this year's class, but uh, for what we brought in, it's definitely well needed for the glaring holes that we have. Logan Ryan, obviously, we needed a corner. He's going to be able to uh, solidify the nickel spot. As of right now, I think he's probably more than that, uh, but hopefully we change that shortly and we don't have to rely on him as an outside guy. But for what we've done, it's it's been addressing needs, and I know we're not done yet, but um, for what we've done so far, I'm going to go ahead and say a B. Yeah, I'm more of the uh, C minus range. Uh, obviously, the clue gets an A plus from me, but the the rest of it, it it's okay. Uh, I Cyprian, he kind of reminds me of Stafford in that he's a more of a downhill tackling kind of safety. Uh, he's not going to flow around there and get you, you know, five interceptions a season. That's going to be what Byard's job is, but he helps address the need. Um, I don't know what that means for Cersei. It sounds like Cersei's on his way out the door to me, um, or you know, he's going to have to rotate between the two guys or whatever else. Um, the other signings uh, we already talked about, they're all basically just free agent signings. I mean, not free agents. They're special team signings. <laughs> you know, they, so, are for, they are free they, agents. They are free agent signings. It was an accurate statement. But, no, they're basically just for special teams, which, as we discussed already, is a big need. It's something that we have to address. So I, I'm going to give it a C-plus right now, except for the Carl Klug. And then we'll see what happens with the rest of these guys as you know time goes on and what happens with the draft. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk at the re-signees here in a little bit, like more in depth. I was happy with Klug, not ecstatic with some of the other moves that we made with re-signing. You know, we, we got some veterans, like I said earlier, in special teams that I think will, you know, change at least the presence, the way we the approach the the special teams in the way that we attack the ball and uh, and, you know, that could have a big impact on your team, obviously. So I'm excited about that. But, you know, we didn't make any big splash moves. I'm going to give it a, a B-. I'm, like, right there in, in in your guys' area. I feel like we covered some holes. I figured we – I think we set ourselves up to have a good draft. I'd like to see us make, like, one or two moves that we didn't. But um, but I'm not mad at what we did. I think we set ourselves up to have a good draft, like I said, and, and that's why I'm going to give us a B minus. So if there's a really great draft behind this, and you know, and this free agency obviously sets that up, and we have a fantastic draft, then I think this grade will obviously increase for me. But right now, I'd have to put it at that B minus range. But that's all we have for the mailbag. Remember, you know, each and every week we put out the posts for the mailbag on our Facebook page at Two Tone. Uh, podcast and on um, the Tennessee Titans uncensored Facebook page uh, that you can become a member of. It's uh, the best Facebook fan page, regardless of team, regardless of sport, on all of Facebook. Um, so definitely check it out. Uh, but we're going to head right into the news here. Let's start with, with Brandon Cooks. Guys, this is a guy that you know, looked like at first he was coming to Tennessee. That's what the talks were at first. It looked like the Tennessee was – you know, leading um, the, the pack to get him, and he was going to come to Tennessee. Uh, then things changed. It looked like, you know, now obviously we're talking with John Robinson. It looks like it's we didn't want to give up uh, what they wanted for him, and he ends up going 
to New England. We've seen a lot of a lot of people very upset about this, and it's something I know you wanted to talk about. Uh, how did you feel about like what went down, and uh, you know, maybe describe it in your own words? For me, it's simple, man. A few weeks ago, you know, it, it sounded great. It was a good idea on, on paper. Um, we kind of knew what Brandon Cooks brought to the team or any team he goes to. I think he'll do well in New England. That's not really my issue. My thing was I didn't really want to give up what they wanted to get, and I'm glad that John Robinson was able to identify what's smart for this team because so far he's done nothing but show that. Um he had said he didn't really go into specifics on what his actual offer was, but there was hints towards maybe swapping the five and the 11 and probably, you know, something else on the side just to to top it off. But, you know, that didn't get done. Um, I'm really glad we didn't give up number 18 because yeah, even though he's probably for the next two years better than any receiver coming out right now, um, it just doesn't make that much sense for us to go out and really buy something, even though he's still got one more year on his rookie deal, eventually his salary is going to be massive. And we, it didn't really make sense to, to go out and spend that kind of money on something where we don't really know uh, what we're getting. And when you give up something like a first-round pick, it's to me it's just not even close to being worth it. So I'm glad we steered clear in this case. Um, like I said, I think he's going to do great in New England. I think they got a good player. But for us, I think we're better off sticking to what we already had. Yeah, I mean, he, he's going to have a probably a, a fantastic year with New England. And it, I, I saw uh, so, someone posted that uh, one of the major guys, I think it was probably Skip, who I generally have no use for, but said, you know, people are basically playing for the right to lose to the Patriots right now. And it may not be the wrong idea. Uh, I, I can't imagine that this Patriots team isn't going to do better offensively than the one did last year defensively they've got a better set of corners this could be a really tough year to beat the patriots you know so that's why our window is opening and theirs is on its way to closing but they're doing everything they can to keep it open a little bit longer uh cooks would not have put us over the edge as a great team this year i would have liked to have them but not for more than just swapping uh, draft picks in the first round uh, i wouldn't give up a first round pick for him but really given like i said the salary you know when it's time to resign him is going to be huge and if he wasn't happy playing for Drew Brees and his past opportunities there, was he going to feel coming to a run-first team? Um, he wasn't going to get nearly as many opportunities to catch the ball. And we, we've proven that you know Marcus can get the ball deep. Uh, we just have to do it through our play calling and through bringing guys across the field, like uh, Robisky said early in the season last year, is with the players that we have on hand, we have to bring them across the field. We have to run them deep as opposed to just sending a guy sprinting up the field we can't do that that's fine we're still going to do an awful good job with what we've got i would have liked to have had cooks but i don't want to pay that huge price in two years for him or you know this next year you're gonna have to re-sign him in order to make sure he sticks around because you can't let him go to free agency for you know if you gave up anything to do with the first round so it's been nice to have him but i i think Largely, the fan base has turned to the point where they're kind of glad we didn't. There's obviously going to be those people who wanted everybody, so uh, you just you're never going to make everybody happy. Yeah, I'm a, I'm happy we didn't get them. Uh, at first, you know, first glance, I was like, you know, that might be nice. Um, but you're you're talking about a guy that uh, 
he's a one trick pony. He does one thing and that's speed. And that's great, you know, that's awesome. Uh that's um you know, it's it's definitely something that you can use in any offense, even though that we have a rushing offense, something we can use. But you're talking about giving up a first round pick to get a guy just like uh Glenn said he has one year and then the team option on his contract. So for two seasons or you can go draft somebody that you know maybe has more weapons that can do more you know with the football and you have him for you know four maybe five years if you have a team option in the contract so you know the value there just it doesn't make sense obviously when you break it down like that it's clear to see that you know let's just go into the the draft if we want to get a guy a wide receiver at 18 we can still get a guy that you know, has a lot of skills, has a lot of talent, and will have years to groom that talent rather than, um, you know, just two years and then he's gone. So it's it didn't look like a good deal for us. I'm, I'm glad that we didn't end up making it. And, um, you know, just value-wise, just didn't make sense. Nothing against Cooks. I think he's a good wide receiver. It's just, wise, it makes more sense for us to draft a guy than it does for us to to bring him in for that 18th pick. Um, on to the next thing, guys, in the news. Resignees, we touched on this a little bit. Uh, obviously, you have uh, Carl Klug, and you know the patron saint of Two-Tone Uncensored, uh, who we all love, gets re-signed, two-year deal. Uh, Matt Castle was re-signed before the uh, free agency actually took off. Um, tight end Philip Supernall, who I, you know, I'll ask you guys your opinion on that re-signing, and then Nate Palmer, a linebacker and a special teams contributor. Uh, you know, overall, how do you feel about these re-signings? I don't really feel one way or the other. I mean, Klug, obviously, I'm really hoping he can come back to uh, full health, where he can show everybody, you know, everything that we talk about with him. Um, the other two guys, Nate Palmer, I, I felt like all those depth linebackers that we had last year were replaceable. I think out of all those guys, he was probably the best one, so I'm not really upset or thrilled to have him back, but it is what it is. Um, you know, maybe he can make make some improvements, and, and I, don't th- I don't see him, you know, stepping up into the starting lineup by any means, but maybe he can contribute in other ways. And Supernaw, I was not exactly – jumping up and down to see him that we, that we resigned him. But at the same time, he's probably still going to be that guy. That's, that's still going to be the third tight end, even though we don't have a third tight end right now. So uh, with Anthony Fasano going to Miami, I think whoever we either sign or draft is, is probably automatically going to jump or uh, leapfrog super and all. So we'll see, but I mean, you know, no, nothing personal against the guy, but he's just done more, wrong than he has right so that's how i feel about that it's pretty much the same way i am uh super naw kind of rolled my eyes when i saw us sign him like okay great uh you know klug a plus love to have the guy back hopefully he's the same guy he was or maybe even a little bit more motivated uh, i felt the same way about bringing back the middle linebacker uh, palmer's the only guy that showed any ability to cover at all and you know, he wasn't stellar at it, but at least he can be a coverage linebacker to an extent. Uh, well, obviously, that's a position that we still need some some work on. But otherwise, it's it's not a great re-signing group, but 
as we talked about whenever we were coming up to the offseason, was looking at the guys that were going to be free agents. There weren't many that we were interested in bringing back anyway. Uh, probably Klug was the only one that we had as a, you got to bring this guy back. Uh, we wanted to bring Fasano back. The fact that he went to Miami sucks ass to me. Um, I would much rather have had him than, you know, Supernaw. Uh, so I, I still kind of expect us to address that position in the draft, get Delaney Walker's heir apparent, and then also run a two tight end set as much as we can just to help balance out the defense. And if you get another guy in there like an O.J. Howard who can block and catch, you know, that that, that solves every problem. Then Supernaw can just go play special teams and everybody's happy. Supernaw, I'll start with him. He's a guy that it's just too many bonehead plays. You know, he's a guy last year when I, we were talking about going into last year that I actually liked because he is a physical blocker. Um, you know, obviously, you know, veteran presence, but he just too many boneheaded plays last year um, compared to how many good plays that, that he had. So I wasn't excited to see him back, but you kind of, you know, like you guys said, forced your hand when Fasano left, um, which I agree, agree with Glenn does suck. You had to keep him there. That way, you know, you don't have uh, another open hole that you have to fill on a team that, you know, we still have quite a few holes we need to fill. So I see why you have to re-sign him there. Uh, obviously ecstatic about getting Carl Klug back. That was the biggest of our – one of the biggest of our worries going into uh, the off season was, you know, we need to be able to get Klug back. Um Moving on to uh, Palmer, you know, it's another one that's it's kind of like Supernaw, except for I like Palmer a little bit better. Or it's it's not exciting, but, you know, I understand why we did it. You know, you're going to need depth at that position. He can cover. You know, it makes sense um, why you would keep him there. And then um, Matt Castle is, is one that I'm not really excited about. I just feel like there's so, so much you can do with, with that position. You could draft someone really late. You could... Um, sign somebody for cheaper that's going to give you just as much. He just he didn't give us very much at all output, and uh, you know he's just kind of I don't know. He's a very disappointing player, and it's I think that you could get somebody. You know, you go get like Brandon Whedon for almost the same price, cheaper probably. He's going to be a better quarterback. You know, there's guys out there that you can go get that are going to be better backups. And I feel like getting a better backup should be a priority. You know, we have a quarterback that has missed, is it six games in the last two years? You know, you're going to have to face reality and realize that you're going to have to have a solid backup. Um, you know, that obviously for another year we're not going to have. So wasn't really excited about that move. Um, but it is what it is. Overall, I feel like we did a good job resigning guys uh, and, you know, letting other people go into free agency who. Um, who needed to, you know, and I think we'll end up getting a couple of those guys back, but, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. Overall, I think we did a good job with our re-signees. You know, the one thing I'll say, I hadn't even thought about it until you said it, was Brandon Whedon. We could have brought him in because he's an Oklahoma State guy. He's popular on the radio around here. People talk to him. They actually had a segment called Whedon's World whenever he was down at uh, Dallas. And he would come on weekly and talk about the Cowboys and the team, which I didn't care to hear about. If we signed him, that means I could probably get a weeded's world about the Tennessee Titans here in Oklahoma City. And I would be absolutely down for that. So let's go ahead and sign him. He could be the third string guy. And then I can get some local coverage on my team. <laughs> there Weedon's, you go. Weeden sucks. Why? <laughs> where did well, you I mean, uh, is Matt Castle of... any better? 
Yeah, I think probably. so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you guys must have missed honest, the last like two Castle games of the better. season, man. <laughs> no, I, I was aware of it. But the thing is, is, you know, Whedon does nothing for me. He's got no arm strength. He's not terribly accurate. He's not much of a leader. He also played for Oklahoma State. So fuck that guy. And, you know, my, my thing is, is other, other than wanting him there just so I could hear more about the Titans on the radio, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I look at it like, like this. Not a leader. That describes Matt Castle. Matt Castle does have, you know, some decent arm strength. Not accurate. So, I mean, it's like barely beats him in one At least category. he's had some experience. Definitely yeah, less of a leader. You're not going to get a grade A talent out of Matt Castle, but that's not what he's there for. He's It's more than just what he can do on the field. I understand that he's not like something great because he's not. I'm not. I'm not claiming he is. But for our situation with Marcus coming back from that injury, Castle's already played the system. He's probably a great locker room guy. I don't know him personally. I've I've barely heard him speak ever. But obviously they like him. So, I mean, I understand why they did it. I definitely wouldn't go out and get Brandon Whedon. I can tell you that. But Castle is what he is. I'm not expecting anything from him other than maybe he fills in a game or two, and hopefully that doesn't even come. So I understand why they made the signing, but he he's probably a, a good locker room guy, and he gets along great with who he's around, and he can grow a handlebar. So, I mean, there you go. Brandon Whedon can't do that. <laughs> he's not a good locker room guy. Just uh, Right before he came to us, he was only um, – a free agent because he kept missing team practices when he was with the Texans. So, I mean, that... fuck the Texans. I wouldn't go to their practices either. Well, Brandon I? Whedon is a good locker room guy by all accounts. Definitely not a leader, not very vocal, uh, but never gets in trouble. Is a good locker room guy. There's other guys, and Brandon Whedon is just an example. There's other guys out there around the league that are good locker room guys that, you know, are a little bit better. And I think to go get someone like that, especially when. We have a quarterback that's, I mean, you can't say he's not injury prone at this point in his career. Um, especially when we have the team like we do, we need to find somebody. I think we will over the next couple of seasons uh, get a solid backup um, because you don't want your season to end when Marcus goes down. I'll say he's not injury prone. I'll say he had, he got unlucky at the end of the year, but, I mean, I wouldn't call him injury prone. And twice the year before, though. I mean, three injuries in two years. Yeah, but how bad was that line the year before? I mean, that's true. But, I mean, look, how many, like, bad lines are there in the NFL? You know, Trevor Simeon's still standing. He has a terrible line. You know, none of the Denver quarterbacks got injured. You know, there's there's a lot to it more than just having a bad line. Having a bad line doesn't mean you automatically get injured. No, but it makes it a much higher chance. No, I agree with that. But, I mean, at this point, Marcus, three injuries in two years, mixed six games in two years. Hey, luckily, no big injuries, but that is injury prone. Yeah, I, I won't put the injury prone status on him, but it's definitely a concern. And that's I, I don't think he's going to get hurt someone... doing something stupid. I just, it's, you know, incredibly unlucky, if nothing else. Right. And I just want, I just don't want, like, when we, you know, this year, I think we're going to have a hell of a good team. Uh, a playoff caliber team. I just don't want our season to end if Marcus goes down. Well, the thing and is, with is, Matt is Castle, there any of those guys in free end. agents? Yeah, but would any of those free agents out there actually give you any hope for making a playoff run? I mean, there's a couple guys that I think could uh, keep a team going. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> Kaepernick. you're a Kaepernick fan. We're bringing Kaepernick and RG3. You know, just guys run around but can't actually throw the ball for shit. We're going to bring them in because that will at least give us the mobility uh, at the position still. 
<laughs> no, I mean, there's guys like I was thinking more like um, Hoyer. You know, he's not gonna like take over games, but he can game manage and win you some games. Um, Hoyer signed already. Well, yeah, no, he signed already. But I mean, there was a point where we could sign him. Both in the Cowan brothers, like those kind of guys, like they're not gonna take over games, but they can definitely win you games. I think uh, Hoyer still has a dream of starting Sunday. There's no way we win that Houston game if Houston has to win to get in. Like that's if they gave a shit about that game, we wouldn't have won with, you know, with uh, uh, well, what's his name? We were out Castle of it too. That's what I'm know, saying. But, like we were out of it. But we actually that's like a- had something. Like we didn't have to worry about saving starts. We didn't have to worry. I mean, like Clowney played like I think it was 19 percent of the snaps in that game. I mean, they they weren't playing. Matt Castle is not going to win you games. He is the quarterback that will lose you football games. I want someone that's a little bit better than that. I'm not defending Matt Castle. I just I don't think there's anybody out there. You are. You said I love Matt Castle. Us. I don't know why this Marcus guy thinks he's the starter. Those were your exact words. Yeah. My, my exact words were I will take on Matt Castle <laughs> in the mustache challenge. I feel like I dominated him. Beyond that, I didn't care. I think yeah. if you used a better example than Brandon Whedon, I would have just kept my mouth shut. Yeah, you probably could have avoided <laughs> all of this. The whole last five minutes would have had All right, all right. Luke McCowan, that's who I want as a backup. That doesn't or, make me feel good. Orlovsky up in uh, – I know he's not a free Orlovsky. agent, but up in uh, Detroit. He's a great backup. Matt Moore. You know, I, I want a guy like that. I'll take Castle. Matt Moore, you could argue that. I, I would accept Matt Moore. <laughs> well, no, he's like were one of the best backups in the league. I'd hope you'd accept him. I don't, I don't know, man. I think, you know, obviously Glennon just went to Chicago. He's going to be throwing Kendall right the ball, the ball this year. But I think, like, if it's somebody like that who is going to get his opportunity to go somewhere and play first string, that's fine. But, I mean, for the last couple of years, he hasn't been, he hasn't been able to show what he can do. But I think he's he's been the best backup without really being able to to showcase it. But I think, like... Just with our situation, somebody that's already familiar with everything. I mean, yeah, I honestly, I think we draft a quarterback late this year just to see what you know what's what. Or, or even, I highly doubt that Matt Castle is going to be expected to do anything. Honestly, if he, if we're in a situation where it's do or die, win to make the playoffs, I think we look at a different direction anyway than Matt Castle. I don't think bringing Castle, Alex Tanny, whether it's Tanny or somebody else. But I mean, I don't think Matt Castle is really here for us to, to go on and win games if Marcus gets hurt. I think he's there for practice reps. Um, he's basically, in my, in, in my mind, he's like an early option. And like midseason, I don't think he's going to be there for that option. He's, he's not as good as – I mean, I never claimed he was good. I'm not saying he is. He just He's familiar with everything. Marcus isn't back yet. We need somebody to throw the ball to these guys during training camp and everything else. That's – what I think he's here for. And he knows the system, so he can help guys, you know, acclimate and learn the playbook. Right. I probably could have said it better like you just did, but yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to that's get. That's what at. I'm here for. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. All right, great teamwork. All right, that's all we have for the first half of the show. We're gonna head into a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have Amos Conway with us and he's gonna go over this Notre Dame draft class and get us prepared for everything that we need to know about Notre Dame heading into this. A lot of guys on this Notre Dame team uh, that have the potential to end up being Titans. So definitely listen into this. We'll be right back. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. 
Hey Titans fans, you've probably heard us talk about the group page several times on this show, and I'm sure you're wondering what we're talking about. Tennessee Titans Uncensored is a Facebook group page that was built by Titans fans for Titans fans and was founded by our very own Matt Necrone. If you're a Titans fan that's looking to talk about the latest Titan news, then this is where you need to be. And you can help me shit talk to crackheads. Because nobody likes crackheads. That is Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Tighten up. Hey guys, you've heard us talk about Hang 10 Apparel before on the show, and if you haven't checked them out, then you're truly missing out. Hang 10 is the one place to find unique Titans gear that you will not find anywhere else. Whether it's a Maragoda hoodie, a Mahalo Atcha Boy t-shirt, or Mike Keith's Music City Miracle Call on a sweater. There are no flags on the field! It's a miracle! The only place to find it is Hang 10. Just go to hangtn.com to find all this great gear. And while you're there, don't forget to use our promo code 2TONE to get 10% off any purchase. That's hangtn.com, the official Titan shop of 2TONE Uncensored. Tighten up. You're listening to 2TONE Uncensored, brought to you by Podbean. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. All right, we're back for the commercial break. Sitting here with us, a good friend of the show and diehard uh, Notre Dame fan, Amos Conway. How you doing, Amos? Uh, doing great. Wonderful night. I could deal without the snow, but ready to talk some Irish football. Draft's coming up quick. Yes, sir. Very excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. Um, it's been a while since we've been able to get together. Uh, I'm ready. I'm excited. It's been too long. Uh, all right, Amos. We're going to start off here. Notre Dame sending out, uh, you know, five big names, six guys. It's six guys. Seven. I mean, it's seven guys. Six guys yeah, will get drafted. Right, I have someone off my list, but I'll get it. We have six guys. Um, that are coming out that are likely to be drafted. The big name coming out, obviously, uh, Deshaun Kaiser, the quarterback, getting a lot of love, especially coming out of the combine. Um, what did you see from Kaiser in the combine, and, and how far do you think his performance will jump him? You know, I thought Kaiser did very well. He actually did a lot better than what I had expected. He cleaned up a few things in his mechanics that I still expected him to, you know, struggle with going into the combine. Brian Kelly has been hailed as this kind of quarterback guru. You know, seeing him at Notre Dame, he's gone through Golfin and Malik Zaire, Deshaun Kaiser. I've not seen any kind of progression out of those three guys that I would like to see. And Kaiser has definitely been the bright spot of the three, you know, big arm. Yeah, he he performed better in the combine than what I thought he would. And, yeah, I'm extremely happy coming into this draft. I thought he was the best quarterback coming out. I thought he definitely had the most upside. And with his performance, helping him obviously at the combine, I think it has a chance to drive him up to that number one quarterback position. And, I, you know, whatever team gets in, whether it's the 49ers, whoever decides to pull the trigger on him, I think they're going to get a very, very good player down the road. And I think he helped prove that over the last weekend. 
Some people have laid, labeled uh, Kaiser just you know the strong-armed quarterback. He's a guy that can whip the ball down the field, uh, but some say that's all he can do. What would be your rebuttal to that? Well, my rebuttal to that would be that if you look at Kaiser's the first year he took over when Zaire gets injured against uh, Virginia, he really did. And those people have pointed to that memory is the fact that that first year starting is he had a great deep ball, drove it downfield real great. He did struggle with the short passes. This year I thought he did a lot better with a lot less talent at that wide receiver position for him. And, you know, the numbers don't show it. And I, that is something that is hard to struggle with because you look at the numbers, but you look at the tape and Notre Dame altogether was not a very good football team. And I think that was really a part of his struggles this year. I think he's a guy who he needs, like I said, with his combine performance, he definitely cleaned up his mechanics a little bit. He has above adequate accuracy. And I think, once again, that's going to boil down to mechanics. The right quarterback coach is going to be able to fix that for him. None of these quarterbacks coming out this year are top-tier guys, as they weren't last year. No, out of the top five guys from the last couple of years or top six, if you throw Paxton Lynch in there, too, I, I think Kaiser – will be the best out of those six guys that that he's just the kid. I think the kid's going to be something special. I, you know, there's something about him. He does sometimes get stuck on that number one receiver, but you know, he's thrown to a guy who's six foot five, had blazing speed, like to go deep a ton. And then that offense that he ran, that's what it was. It was that spread, get the ball down deep. My, you know, that was my rebuttal. That would be, None of these quarterbacks had outstanding seasons. I know Deshaun Watson had it really, really good in the national championship game with the comeback. I think that Mitch Trubisky or Trubisky has really showed a lot of stuff. You know, maybe not as heralded throughout the season, but definitely afterwards, going back and watching tape on him, he has really, you know, he's shown me a lot. I'm a more believer than I was then. But Kaiser has the highest ceiling. He's got the big arm. He's got the body to take the hit. He's deceptively fast. He is what a lot of teams are looking at now for in that quarterback position, you know, you of a young, but probably more raw Ben Roethlisberger coming out, kind of a Cam Newton with his body build, his size, his ability to take hits. But he does, man, he's got the, you know, you bring it up with that where he just likes to, you know, big power. And he does over time. He has shown that he will drop his mechanics and he will choose that power over the technique, but it's something that he will get out of. It's something, you know, you've seen Brian Kelly try to teach him. But the thing is with those two quarterbacks, the kind of quarterback Deshaun Kaiser is and can be is not the kind of coach that – or it's not the kind of player quarterback that Brian Kelly has been used to coaching. And, you know, you look at his days in Cincinnati and even early in Notre Dame, he's been hard – or he's had a hard time adjusting to the spread quarterbacks who, you know, have some speed to him. That's the kind of guys he's recruited. So I don't know if it was just along the process. He just wasn't able to figure it out like he wanted to. But Kaiser's going to be a very, very good quarterback. With the right team, he's going to have the chance to be great. Deshaun Watson got a national championship ring. Out of these three guys, Trubisky, Kaiser, and Watson, I think Kaiser will give you the best opportunity, maybe not in the short row or in a short run, but you know, down the road, the sprint, I, I think Kaiser definitely has the opportunity to rack up the more rings, the more championships. And he's played with some, you know, not the best talent. Watson has had some pretty good talent. Trubisky's receivers, not terrible at all. You know, Notre Dame, they do have good receivers. They still had 
C.J. Sanders, Equinonymous Brown, you know, they lack at that tight end position that they've had over the years. Lots are gone from the year before. So there's a lot of things going on with Kaiser, a lot of things going on with Notre Dame. I think, you know, especially with the offseason, with the six players being arrested and kicked off the team, I think there's a lot of the distractions inside that locker room. But I think when Kaiser gets to the next level, you're going to see a guy more focused, ready to clean up his mechanics, and ready to go out there and help a team win and do the best that, you know he can, whatever he can do to help the team win. Yeah, he, he's a guy that uh, I've seen comparisons to, you know, like you said, with Roethlisberger. I've seen him compared to Steve McNair. Um, Sorry, I had a cough. Uh, I, I saw him compared to Steve McNair, which is I think it's got more to do with his physical ability to move around a little bit. Uh, th- despite those comparisons, you know, the Ben Roethlisberger, the Steve McNair, th- those comparisons, those are two guys who are, you know, big guys who throw the ball deep. The thing is, is he doesn't move around to the pocket as far as escaping pressure. It's like he doesn't sense the pressure or he just believes he's going to be able to stand there and take the hit and throw the ball anyway. It seems like a lot of the sacks he took were just really unnecessary to me. Um, just on a developmental standpoint, that and just quick reads. Um, he all, all young guys do it. All young guys stare down their receiver. It, it seems like there were several times where – he would fall asleep on the other patterns that were getting run and just look for his, you know, his primary receiver. Uh, so uh, targets, he's got to work on those two things as far as pocket awareness for moving and escaping from pressure. Uh, even when he's got time to stand there, he's waiting for his guy to get open. And he's taking sacks for no good reason. Uh, so th- those are going to be kind of the knocks that people have on him. But I think you're right. I think he's got the potential to develop and become a really good starting quarterback for somebody down the road. Yeah, I, I I could agree more. And like I previously mentioned, you brought up, he did get stuck on his receiver, or his number one receiver a lot in Equinonymous Brown. And as that said, too, with him, yeah, on the short routes, the kind of option routes, he did struggle a lot of times just completely not even looking in that direction, not seeing him. And there were a couple times to where I think he almost tried to be too safe with the ball and ended up throwing a bad ball. He did have nine interceptions this year. And compared, you know, with his yardage, he only threw for almost 2,300. You know, I think he had like 23 touchdowns. So all those numbers, you know, when you ratio them out, they don't look the greatest. And a lot of that was due to those struggles of sometimes just not seeing who he needed to throw it to, not progressing through his route. And there were some times to where when Kaiser felt the pressure, because there were games where that offensive line – would struggle one half, and you would see them play very well the second half, and then in turn, Kaiser would also play well in the second half. And, you know, he did get hit a ton, and I think part of the problem with what, you know, we're talking about here with him not being able to find his reads and taking sacks is once he felt the heat, it was no longer, I'm going, you know, progressing eyes downfield. He dropped, you know, he dropped the ball and he took off. Now, like I said, he is a susceptibly fast guy. He can get yards, but that's obviously going to work much better for him in college and it will when he gets to the next level when, you know, these guys are all professionals. They're all out there to not let you gain an inch on that football field. But like I said, I think that's all stuff that he can clean up. And I think that if he were on – I don't want to say if he was on another team in college, he would have done any better because, you know, you never know the circumstances. But I think – if he had a better quarterback coach, because I think Brian Kelly is overrated in that aspect, I think that he would have done much, much better, helped him with the reads, 
you know, Kelly spent, it seemed, more time yelling at all the quarterbacks. And this year, especially with, you know, the first few games was, you know, you would see Zaire one quarter, then Kaiser one quarter, back and forth, and then you would see Kaiser one half, Zaire the other half, and then they finally figured out to stick with Kaiser. And I think that's another part of the problem is all these quarterbacks need reps. And, you know, you can practice all you want, and, all the, you know, you hear from – professional players or NFL quarterbacks all the time. You, you want to get out there. You want to get your reps. But, you know, the in-game stuff is where it's you're really going to feel the speed of the NFL. And I think Kaiser will adjust to that. And I think the right coach, especially somebody like Kyle Shanahan, were to get a hold of him or even a team with a decent quarterback coach, I think that's easily going to be fixed. I think he will, you know, they'll do what, like they do with a lot of young quarterbacks. They're going to cut the field in half and have them learn. I, I think the best thing for Kaiser, I do think he is the best quarterback coming out of this draft, especially for the long run. But I think if a team can draft Kaiser and they have the ability for him to sit for a year, I think that will do him a ton of good. I think he'll learn a ton, especially if there's a veteran quarterback presence ahead of him. I think if he's thrust into the role, I think he can also adapt. I think he's that, I mean, I think he's that good of a quarterback. I think he is a smart guy. I think he's a smart NFL player, smart quarterback position. And I think he'll, he will, he will just, and like it is, it's a lot of young in him. It's a lot of young rawness. Looking back, first year Zaire gets hurt, he comes in. This isn't a guy expected to play. He may not even expected to play this year had Zaire stayed healthy or the year before. So what he's been or what he was expected to do to what he's done to what he could do, I think will be leaps and bounds. And I think he's going to continue to progress and get better at each level he goes to. And I think, you know, three or four years down the road from this draft, I think we're going to be talking to Deshaun Kaiser. As he may not at that point in time be a top five quarterback, but I think he can easily be in that top ten. All right, high praise for the quarterback. Uh, let's move to the defensive side of the ball here to talk about, you know, big old nose tackle Jaron Jones. Got it 6'6", uh, 316. Uh, a lot of people have been – Praising this guy, obviously athletic. You know, he comes from the basketball background uh, that a lot of teams love and those big guys because they're more athletic, deceptively fast. Uh, but a lot of people labeling him as a boomer bust kind of prospect. Do you think that's a fair label? Yeah, I, I do, and I could. I absolutely agree with how these um, analysts how the scouters have, you know, what they put on him, what they expect out of him, what they're afraid and what they like. The guy is is very, very explosive. He's very long. He's very athletic. You brought up the basketball background. The problem with him is his, you know, what motivates him? How are you going to be able to get him motivated? Is the money going to motivate him? And I think that's especially where the boomer bust comes in because if he was a guy who, when you looked at and you said you knew he was going to give you 100% every play, every time, all the time, no matter what level he was able to progress to, you're always going to get the best out of him, I think he's easily a first-round pick. I think all the talent in the world's there, the strength, he's a bit top-heavy. He's, you know, he's kind of stands tall when he comes out of his stance. But other than that, there's just not too much to complain on him outside of are the intangibles there, are they not there, Characteristically, are you going to get a guy who, you know, at Notre Dame, sometimes I know during the offseason reports of him not getting the rest and not necessarily keeping his body up to shape, not staying as healthy as he can and not trying to improve himself? Or are you going to get a guy who comes in and he works hard and he busts his butt every day? You know, these characteristics of 
any player or any team would want out of any player coming out of this draft. And, he, and he, this guy is questionable. And the problem is with him, too, he has a ton of talent. He doesn't have all the talent in the world to go, it's worth taking the risk in the first round. He's just not. But like I said, I think that he could have absolutely been a first-round pick, and I, I do. I, I think the boomer bust prospect on him, as much as I'm a fan of him, I think that's absolutely dead on, and I think it's a very, very fair assessment because, like I said, when I watch him on film, you watch all the good plays, and you absolutely you do. You look at him and you go, this guy, this guy's top 10, top 15 pick probably. You start watching the stretch of the game, everything, you know, he goes from 100% to 80, and he kind of bounces around, and you start to get worried because there's a lot of plays where he was slow getting to, kind of really got content when he got to the, you know, the next level. Uh, just, you need to use, like I said, he stands tall and a stance on if that has anything to do with that. He just, sometimes you get the most motivated guy in the world. Sometimes you get a guy who, you know, he seems like he's just being out there to be in the motion sometimes. Another thing about um, a Jones that we've been hearing a lot of is, you know, the 2015 tears ACL. Uh, misses most of the season uh, obviously played last year how do you think how big of a red flag should this be for teams that are looking at Jones well I think with any player you got to look at the injury you got to you know really assess it for your team assess your need at the position where he's going to fit on your depth and whether or not you know everything else falls into place with it that being said I don't think it's a huge red flag I think you know like previously mentioned, sometimes during the offseason, things, you know, if he had a healthy offseason, you would see him not necessarily being in the weight room or anything like that. But with the knee injury, this guy was a guy who rehabbed strong, got it fixed, goes out there, works hard, and you've seen it this year. You know, I didn't see, and that's, I didn't see a guy who makes me boomer bust because of the knee injury looking at him look so bad. Everything that slows him down is inside his head. I don't think the injury slows him down. I don't think it should be a red flag, and I think he'll be fine moving forward. This injury isn't a thing like, you know, Jalen Smith or even Miles Jack. But, you know, Miles Jack slipped out of the first round, still early second-round pick, and you see a guy who's probably going to have a big year this year. What round do you see uh, Jaron Jones coming off the board? So I think he falls somewhere in the fourth and fifth round. And that's not – now, that being said, I I think there's easily a team that could hit him in the third, and a lot of people have him pegged between that third and fifth round. I just think that with the draft being unpredictable how it is, you never know if some guy's going to flip or fall, what's going to come out during the draft. But I – you know, my gut feeling right now is I think talent-wise, first or second, I think – you know, how teams have him flagged right now with the character issues and everything else, I think you're at, you know, the fourth and fifth, and especially because of last year's draft and this year's draft being, you know, defensively both very, very in good stock. I think a team can wait on him, grab him there, and see if they can get that, you know, that $68,000 question, whether what kind of player they're going to get out of him or not. Yeah, the uh, interviews are going to be a lot about, where he gets drafted at, I think, because like you said, he does have those character issues. He's got questions if he's a little bit lazy. Um, then, you know, the injuries. But there's also, you know, he's a difference maker. He, he blocked four kicks and he hardly played, it seemed like. Uh, if you're blocking kicks as a lineman, basically, 
then you're doing something right. You know, he's got some explosive burst in there, which when you look at him, he doesn't have those big, powerful thighs like you're used to seeing people who just kind of push their way through the pocket. But he's effective at what he does if he just could stay motivated and healthy. And so that's going to all come to, you know, how he does in the interviews. If he can convince NFL coaches that he's here to work and this is going to be his full-time job because in college you didn't get that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And bring up the point, especially with his lower half definitely being smaller than his upper half. Like I said, uh, he definitely is top-heavy. He needs to get more powerful in his bottom. And I agree with you that where he's going to get drafted is how well he does in these interviews. Because talent-wise, obviously, it's all there. When teams go in to meet with him, you know, whether he has to BS his way through it, whether what he, whatever he has to do is where he's going to end up, you know, a team's going to take that chance on him. If he does it to the right team, obviously he could be the third-round guy. But I think there's enough tape on there for teams to maybe step back and question that, you know, you got a guy who he might be saying all the right things, but when you look at film, what he says and what he's doing on, you know, the field, two different things, is he just saying all this stuff to get paid? These, You know, these coaches aren't dumb. These GMs are not stupid. Defensive coordinators, they know what they're doing. They know the kind of players they're looking for, and they can, you know, they know a bunch of crap when they hear it come out. But Notre Dame guys usually interview pretty well. So I think that with that being said, I'm going to stick with, I think he gets in that fourth round area. And, you know, at very least, like you brought up with the block kicks, at very least, he's going to be on, you know, special teams that kind of thing his first year. Yeah, he's going to definitely have to prove himself, but I think if he can prove himself, show motivation, get into, you know, that starting role or a rotational role, I think he can eventually go somewhere, get paid, and be a very good player, big guy in that middle, good run stepper. He can get to the quarterback. He needs to get bigger down the bottom like you previously mentioned. There's a lot of stuff to like about him, talent-wise. There is physically gifted kid. It's just, once again, everything comes back to really the characteristic issues, you know, the intangibles. The injury, I'm just not worried about. And most injuries like that, especially, you know, stuff a year or two out, it doesn't make me as nervous as, you know, there's another guy on this list that will get to him. He is a guy with some health issues that makes me nervous. But Jaron Jones, I, I think he'll end up being all right, and I think he ends up going in that fourth-round area. I think especially a team that could take, a look at him and go after him. I think of one is definitely the Kansas City Chiefs. If you look, you know, if they end up losing Don Terry Poe, I think he's a guy who might be a little, if Andrew Beacon gets the best out of him, I think he's a guy who'd be a good fit in Kansas City. Let's stay on that defensive line, just move down a little bit to defensive tackle Isaac Rochelle. You know, we're talking about his teammate just prior, all the, you know, is his head on right? Uh, you know, does he have the, does he love the game? Will he? What will motivate him to play? Uh, Rochelle's a guy that's the exact opposite by all accounts. You know, everybody talks about this guy being a workhorse, high motor, high energy type of guy. Um, is that fair to say that he is basically the opposite of the previously mentioned? Yeah, Isaac Rochelle is definitely the complete opposite of Jones, and he's definitely and he's a guy who. One of his issues is because of his size, the 6'3", the 290, teams are going to have to find where he's going to fit on their defensive scheme. 
Is he going to play defensive tackle for them? Is he going to play defensive end? Because he can do both, and I think that he can rotate outside of both. Another thing is, you know, depending on what kind of, you know, if they're good at the run and they need a pass rusher, I think he's definitely going to be a guy that they look at. I think he's much better against the pass than he is against the run. I've seen him get to the second level on the run, and sometimes he looks a little bit lost. But I think, once again, that's something that can easily be cleaned up with him. This is a guy who is consistent. He's very, very, you know, he's healthy. He played, I can't even tell you the amount of staff or the percentage that he played last year. I haven't seen the number, but I would almost guarantee you it's extremely high, and it's probably high for his career overall. I think the NFL compare him, and I cannot think of the player's name. I don't know if one of you guys will know it off the top of your heads or not. The defensive end for the Detroit Lions, who, like, undrafted, has had, you know, played rotational for a year, and is, I believe, by the end of the year, was rotating it from defensive tackle to defensive end on that uh, Detroit Lions defensive front. I cannot think of his name, but he's kind of who I would compare him in the NFL right now. I think he's definitely going to have to work himself up. Because let's think, his numbers are great, high motor, high character, tangibles are all there. You know that this is a guy who's going to go out there and get you 100% every time. He can be explosive. The thing is, is despite everything right about him, not extremely highly as productive as you would have liked to see him be in college. That being said, he was on defensive line with, you know, Sheldon Day. You had Jalen Smith back there. Um, you had a few other guys, linebackers, Joe Schmidt. This, he's very good. He just has – I don't know if it's not necessarily the fact that he hasn't had the opportunity to do well or if somebody else, he was just being overshadowed. But the numbers just haven't been there for him. And he's another guy, I think, had the numbers. See, what Jones, we're talking character. This guy, we're just talking mainly production and, like, good, you know, how we view defensive ends with sacks, tackles for losses. Didn't have a whole ton of them. And that's something that uh, he's going to be very, very good for a team like what Detroit Lions did with um, – Cannot think of that guy's name to save my life. It's Kerry Washington. Kerry Hyder, um, wasn't it? Kerry Hyder, thank you. I think what Detroit did with Kerry Hyder, I think a team can absolutely do with Isaac Rochelle. I I think that he can play whatever role they need him to, five technique, whatever they, they're going to need him to do. I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to be productive in the sense of he's going to catch on to the position. He's going to do what they need, but I don't think he's going to in order for him to get into that starting role, he's going to go above and beyond what his talent is going to allow him to do. But that being said, I do. This kid is the officer Jones in the characteristics department, motor and tangibles. I'm really high on Isaac Rochelle. Really, really like this guy. Yeah, if you could put this guy's brain in Jones's body, you'd have one hell of a player. Yeah, absolutely. Um. You know, this guy, they say the obviously best fit 3-4 defense. That could be obviously, uh, you know, a, a depth kind of a pick for the Tennessee Titans. So some guy that we definitely could be looking for in the later rounds. Where do you exactly do you think you will see uh, Isaac Rochelle come off the board? I'm firmly at – see, this is the thing with Jones. So Jones, I have fourth fifth. Rochelle, I have – about the same. I, you know, I can throw in third there depending on, the, you know, if the team is a 3-4. I 
with the specificity of the position. They may want to get him off the board when they can. Well, decent talent is still there for his versatility, the fact that he can play inside and outside. But I think he ends up slipping a little more into that fifth round. I think there's just a talent above him. And even with Jones' characteristics, I think with the amount of talent that's there, I think a team will take a shot on Jones and then end up being Rochelle. But I think this is a guy who, like I said, the right team, I think he can go in the third. And I think if a team looks at him and compares him to Jones or whoever might be above him on the board, when they look at the intangibles, the interview that will be happening, and everything else, characteristics, the you know, health, the amount that this guy, I uh, just seen the number, he played 83 point something percent of his college snaps. You know, this is a guy who is going to be very, very intriguing to a team because the least you're going to get is a depth guy who's going to be there for you. He's going to be healthy and he's going to do his job. Well, let's stay on the defense, talk about linebacker here. Uh, and I might slaughter his name. I'm going to try my best here. Outside linebacker James Onwalu. I'm a saying Onwalu. Right? Onwalu. Uh, he's a guy that you know. A, by, a lot of people like have the same thing. Has a high motor. Seems like he has uh, an endless motor at times. Uh, not the best ability in the world, though. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a theme coming up outside of Jones on this defense. A lot of guys, that not quite all the t- tools are there, uh, but they have the right attitude. Right. And outside, <clears throat> next to Jones and Rochelle, I do. I like James Onowalu a lot. Rochelle and Jones have the opportunity to start or be a consistent rotational player. James Onowalu, I believe, will make his money on special teams. And, you know... <clears throat> Very important phase of the game. I think he's a guy who will be able to change some plays on the um, on special teams on the field, uh, especially you know gets a year introduced, gets used to that special teams at NFL speed. I think this is going to be a guy who, if you find a team out there, Steelers, Titans, Patriots, a team that really really values a special team position, a you know a good gunner, a good hitter. Whatever you're going to need, Onowalu is going to be able to do it for you. He's going to eventually make a game-changing play. This kid has a ton of heart. His endless motor, he's going to end up being a special teams ace for somebody. That Onowalu, because you're right, a lot of these guys, great outside of Jones, great characteristics, just not all the tools are there, and that's another problem with him. He's, you know, for an outside linebacker, he was short for Notre Dame, even for that 3-4 defense. You know, he's six foot one. he is 232. But he's a guy who, if you need someone to drop into coverage for you inside of a special package, I think he's going to be good for you because not only can he play that outside linebacker position, I think he'll be able to play that nickel safety position for you if you had to. Something like Malcolm Jenkins kind of does right now. I think he's that kind of size. I think he has that kind of coverage ability. And I think he's not necessarily, you know, he's not really, you know, not blazing fast, but I think he's quick enough laterally to play in a good zone, a right zone defense scheme. But as far as talent-wise, where he gets drafted, I think that James Onwalu will make his living on special teams unless he gets really, really good against the run and they stuff him inside and he learns how to delay blitz. That's the only way I see him being a starter, and I just don't see it happening. So I think he ends up being, like I said, a guy who makes his living on special teams. And if I had to take a pick somewhere where he gets drafted, man, I, I would go – I think he's a sixth or seventh round guy. 
I think that's fair. And it's the same kind of you know thoughts I had on him too. Is he's not big enough and fast enough and strong enough to be a full time starter at you know pretty much any of the positions. I don't. I never. I never saw a a forty time or anything for him. Have you guys done your uh, pro day yet? No, the pro day has not been done yet. Like okay. I said, what I'm going off is just just looking at game speed and seeing him. Yeah. I've seen him do very well, obviously, in coverage laterally up and down the field, like the entire Notre Dame defense last year, just got burned. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And is, his speed will make a big difference. On, on his pro day, we'll determine if he gets drafted. You know, maybe fifth rounds if someone just wants to uh, – bring in a utility player or a special package player and then put him on some special teams, or if he's a seventh round or an undirected free agent, if he's slow, um, it just, it really depends on how that pro day works out for him. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think even if the 40 times great, I think for him, I think he's going to end up going to a team who ends up having, you know, four, four or five picks and like the last five, six, Seven in that kind of round area. I don't think he goes in the fifth, but I, I think six or seven somewhere in that area to a team like I said who may have traded back and got picks back there because like you're gonna a lot of these guys six seventh round. There's not a lot of film on them. You take a, some risk on them, but I think this is a guy you're gonna get high character, high tangibles, and I think he's gonna be able to make an impact for you on special teams from day one. Uh, you talked about you know this guy possibly moving to safety. Uh, because of his size, do you think if he does, you know, become uh, a guy that plays more, uh, gets out of just a special teams role, do you think it will be at safety, or do you think he's best fit to stay at outside linebacker? I think he'd be better fit as a safety. And I think, you know, I look at uh, Sua Cravens, Dion Buchanan, uh, I believe it's Deion Jones, the Atlanta linebacker. I think he can play that kind of position to where I understand those guys play, you know, linebacker. Mark Barron now went from safety to linebacker, but I think he ends up being one of those guys where uh, if he ends up on special teams, which I think he will, and I think he gets drafted, if he makes it on the field, I think he does become exactly that. I think you're going to have to find a team that consistently plays a, you know, a 4-2-5, a 2-4-5, a 3-3-5, something like that. And I think you can see this guy inch his way into the depth chart in a situation like that. All right. Uh, Amos, there's two guys, probably later round guys, uh, Torian Folston and, and Cole Luke, guys that uh, definitely are not um, household names. What can you tell us about these guys, that, you know, since a lot of people don't really know them, aren't familiar with them? Well, Cole Luke – not this year, the prior year, had he come out then, I think he would have been a mid-round draft choice by a team. He replaced Kivari Russell when Kivari Russell got hurt. He actually held his own against guys like Rashad Green. He did very, very well. I can't name all the six receivers he went against, but there are like six other six receivers that he went against who ended up, you know, receiving honors of some kind, either in their conference or, you know, AP honors. He did well. But that was, you know, he really was almost a one-year wonder for Notre Dame, and it wasn't even that great of a wonder. This year he really, really struggled. You know, good at zone coverage, but when Notre Dame started getting behind, Notre Dame went to man coverage, and he just – same problem Kavari Russell had coming out of college, just 
you know, if he gets you on the line, he presses you, he gets his hands on you a little bit, he's going to cover you. He's going to stay on you. He's not going to be, you know, he's not going to be like glue on you, but he's going to be close enough to where he's going to make a quarterback hesitate and probably move on to the next read. This year, just did not see that guy missed, you know, was not good in the press, seemed to be overpowered at times. And if a guy, you know, if he missed the press, a guy was gone and he just doesn't have the recovery speed. I do like Cole Luke. I think in order for him to get drafted, I think it's going to be, I think he's going to be a sixth or seventh round guy. I think he's more in the seventh round. But, you know, whatever team he gets drafted by, I think he's going to struggle making the roster unless he makes huge, huge strides at his pro day in a team who drafts him, maybe someone like Seattle Seahawks or, you know, someone who has good starters, isn't looking for a guy immediately, can throw them on the practice squad and maybe have, you know, a really good secondary coach or DB coach in order to build this guy into becoming a decent corner. But I think even if he was starter, was able to be a starter down the, you know, the road for a team, I think at most you're going to see a rotational nickel back. That's as far as I think Cole Luke will go in his NFL career. Obviously, I hope he proves me wrong, but I think that's where he sits is sixth, seventh round, maybe even undrafted, struggles getting on team. But if he does, I think he's going to have a good opportunity to learn and become a good role player in the defense. I'll put it like that. Torian Fulton, however, although not a household name, at one point probably could have been. Comes to Notre Dame, sits behind Cam McDaniel. Cam McDaniel leaves. CJ Procise emerges. We all know the season Procise had, how well he did coming in, you know, switching from that slot receiver role over to running back. Over 1,000 yards, now holds the longest run at Notre Dame Stadium. You know, then that run went behind, you know, Baltimore Ravens first-round draft pick last year and Ronnie Stanley. Um, Torian Fulton, unfortunately, that year with C.J. Procise, blows out his knee. Josh Adams comes in behind C.J. Procise, obviously has a very, very good season. This year was supposed to be Torian Fulton's uh, year. Comes out, I believe Virginia tears another, or tears his ACL again, I do believe, his same knee, right knee. So you have back-to-back years of knee issues, knee damage, this guy's five foot nine. I think he. I think he is over two hundred. He is quick. He is faster than what he looks when he's healthy. When he was healthy, when he was young, especially with Cam McDaniel, and even earlier in the season with CJ Procise, you've seen this kid break off runs, and you looked and you said, "All right, well, you know that was a special kind of run." Unfortunately, injuries. Not very good out of the backfield. Had issues with his pass blocking, as did the entire Notre Dame team. However. And then, you know, he gets injured and Josh Adams takes over and obviously Josh Adams never looks back, never looks back. He's going to be the, you know, in, incumbent coming in next, next year. I expect big things out of him. But back to Fulton, I think Fulton can get drafted. And I think with where running backs are going, he's another guy, and I, I know it sounds like a broken record, but I think he ends up being sixth or seventh round. Because we've seen guys like Jordan Howard, um, Devontae Booker go in these fourth and fifth rounds, and he's – I don't want to say he's not as talented as these guys because this kid broke records at his high school. He was very highly touted coming out of high school. Notre Dame got him. So I think that the ability to have that kind of talent is there. I think obviously with the injuries, uh, with who was above him at the depth chart at Notre Dame, 
And after, you know, some of these big key offensive linemen, Ronnie Stanley, Zach Martin, Nick Martin, those kind of guys leave. And that's obviously where the issue came into there as well. I I like Fulton. I liked him a ton. I, unfortunately, with the injuries, because I think the intangibles are there. I think, you know, watching him run, watching him play, he gives you 100%. He was a patient runner. He reminded me, watching him sometimes, of a, a more, a younger, more explosive well, obviously younger now, but kind of a more explosive Edron James to where he was patient, found his hole, and he would just burst through it, and he would be gone. He broke big run after big run when he had opportunities before his full-time starter role. But going in, like I said, he's got a lot of improvement. He's got to be better at catching the ball out of the backfield, which he did improve a ton in. And obviously he's going to have to stay healthy and be able to stay on the field. But I definitely think he gets drafted. I think the talent's there. I think it's some team will see that. I think he ends up, you know, either on a practice squad or as a fourth running back on someone's depth chart because I think he is a guy who you can, if you need him to spell uh, your starter once or twice or even, you know, injury to a backup, I think he's a guy who's going to step in and give you five touches a game. I think if he's able to stay healthy and he's able to get better at his pass-catching abilities, I think you can see you see a guy who has the chance to be someone like Theo Riddick is for the Detroit Lions, another Notre Dame running back. Except I think he will be a better runner than Riddick, and obviously I think Riddick will remain the same as a better pass catcher. But I think he can end up playing that kind of role as long as there's a starter in front of him. All right, and one more guy we want to talk about, not coming out of the draft this year, but. A lot of Titans fans may not know that there is some Titans lineage at Notre Dame right now. Yeah, man, C.J. Sanders. I actually did not realize that Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame. I'm not putting any, not putting anybody out of Sanders or anything. They get a lot of people. We have, you know, David Robinson's son played there for us last year until you know he went down with injury. C.J. Sanderson, he's a little burner, man. The guy is fast. I know he's a little on the small side, but a little, from what I can remember last year, and as Ryan knows, I've, I had a lot going on this year. <laughs> um, the big thing with him is what I can remember is the only thing he really, really needs to improve on is I remember he's got a couple drop balls when he was open and the route running is a little bit raw, but like I said, he's a young guy, and he'll get better at all that. Notre Dame did see kids, high-profile kind of guys from, you know, big sports stars, and I think he'll be fine. I'm especially looking forward to next year. We'll just see how he does next year, depending on who the quarterback is, if it's going to be Zaire, if it's going to be Brandon Wimbush. A lot of that to be said, but I think with the right quarterback in place, and if Brian Kelly can actually, you know, develop a decent quarterback at Notre Dame instead of just year after year stabbing my hopes and dreams in the back with the biggest knife he can find, <laughs> I think he'll be all right. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, he is the son of Chris Sanders, um, you know, former Oiler. Uh, really neat to, to see a guy, you know, guy that I grew up watching, a guy that, you know, is a, a staple of, of a team at one point, uh, you know, and see his son coming up. It, it's always cool to see that when you uh, get to see some of the guys that you loved watching, you get to see their kids come up. 
Uh, hopefully he does do great, and hopefully he's a Titan too. Keep it in the family, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously I hope he does great as well. I think I, uh, my guess is the starter next year ends up being Brandon Wimbush. You know, you got your number one sleeper as Equinonymous Brown. Whoever ends up being number two, uh, I think they're going to have a lot of chance to make a ton, ton of noise and really build some future draft stock for themselves with the double coverage. Brown's going to draw. The guy six oh five runs like four three speed or something like that crazy. But as far as Sanders goes, I think he has a ton of opportunity to make noise next year. I think, you know, moving him behind the line of scrimmage was big for Notre Dame. Moving around a couple times, I remember them getting the some screens out to him and Brian Kelly's real, real big on the screen game. So hopefully get some balls out to him, get some offensive line out in front of him, have him give him the opportunity to make some noise, get out there, get Notre Dame some yards and hopefully get some wins on the board. All right, Amos, thanks a bunch for coming on and giving us a lot of insight into this fighting Irish um, draft class coming out. It's great having you on. Yeah, you guys got Michigan next week, right? Yes, we do. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let Pete know that you uh, said that. <laughs> oh, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas, I appreciate you guys having me on. And hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. Thanks for dropping the knowledge on us. Oh, no, not a problem. Anytime. <laughs> Another big thank you for, to Amos Conway for coming on, uh, giving us a lot of insight there in this Notre Dame team. That's all we have for the show this week, guys. Again, we hound on it every week. Go to hang10, H-A-N-G-T-N.com, and buy yourself some Titans goodies. It's the best Titans apparel that you'll find, I promise you. Right now, recording the show i'm wearing my marty Gota shirt it's awesome and it's like it feels good when you put it on it's like it's nice it's great fabric great material that they use um you know moisture wicking fabric it's nice it's good stuff so definitely check them out yeah i mean uh, their stuff is absolutely amazing so definitely check them out one of a kind titans merchandise i want to give out a big shout out uh to my two co-hosts here matt who has disappeared in the back half of the show, and Glenn powering through uh, the bubonic plague that's trying to take him down over there. So thanks to you guys for being on the show this week. I survived. <laughs> Just barely. Yeah. Uh, that's all we have for the show again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, tighten up. <laughs> tighten up. Hard beat. Matt's thinking his little... Thanks for listening to the Two Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.